Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest is Eddie Gossage, the president of Texas Motor Speedway. This is actually Eddie's third appearance on the NASCAR NBC podcast, but really I'm counting it as his first. This is the first time we've had him actually in person on mic. I had him on phone a couple of times last year, and it just doesn't go as well when I do these by phone, I've noticed. So I've tried to focus on doing them in person whenever possible. In this case, it means I had to do it uh, almost two months earlier than when this episode will run. Eddie and I taped this on February 23rd, 2017 in the lunchroom of the Media Center at Daytona International Speedway. That was the last time we were going to be in the same location and have enough time to do this before his race at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, this coming week. So keep that in mind in terms of what we're talking about. We didn't know at that time that the decision on repaving Atlanta Motor Speedway would be reversed. Thankfully, we didn't delve into that too much. Uh, Also, we didn't know that someone was going to drop a bunch of pans on the floor near the food area. So apologies for that brief noise that you're going to hear. Other than that, I hope you enjoy this. Eddie is very colorful. He often has a lot to say. I was surprised when I was listening back to our audio that we actually talked about a topic, the motorhome lot, that Steve Letarte and I also broached a couple of weeks ago. I promise you that was not by design. It just happened to come up in a couple of conversations a month apart. So without further ado, here's Eddie Gossage. We're here at the Daytona International Speedway Media Center Lunchroom with Eddie Gossage, the president of Texas Motor Speedway, who actually is making his third appearance on this podcast, but I'm going to count this as really your debut. Yeah, it's our first, you and me. Yeah. Yeah. Because first time in person, and the last time it got screwed up. Yeah, it wasn't. It was good quality sound. Yeah, it was, well, you know. it was my fault because you had to be in a car because NASCAR had some news come out that day that caused me not to be able to hit our original NASCAR. <laughs> the way you said that. <laughs> they had news. 
last year going into Eddie's race weekend yeah. about Xfinity drivers and cup drivers in the Xfinity series. So um, that unfortunately pushed Eddie and I back and pushed Eddie in his car while we were doing this podcast. And it wasn't high quality. That No, the audio wasn't great. wasn't what we looked for here on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. No, no I can tell by how you upgraded to the lunchroom at the media <laughs> center at Daytona International Speedway's <laughs> media center. Obviously, this is going to be a much better environment. Obviously. Um, for the, yeah, many great interviews yeah. have taken place have. right here. Honestly, have. Many great conversations. And I know this will be a good one with you. How, how are you doing, first of all? You great. just get down here? I uh, got down here a couple of days ago. And uh, be honest, I've had so many meetings and whatnot that this is the first time I've been in the track. And I got here... Tuesday. This is Thursday. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, meetings with NASCAR and stuff like that, uh, which they have every year this time with the presidents of all the various racetracks. And we go through things, discuss things, and, you know, um, mostly they talk and we listen. That's pretty much how it works. Right. You can't really bring any grievances uh, or oh, give no. them any feedback at this no, point no, of the no year? No such okay. thing as... <laughs> you know, as <laughs> playing, uh, uh, oh, what's his name, on um, Seinfeld. It's it's yeah. it's not. Um, Jerry's grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Or Got some problems yeah. with you people, and you got to hear about problems them. with you people. It's gold, Jerry. So. <laughs> like this podcast. But no, there's no Festivus uh, with NASCAR, trust <laughs> okay. me. Okay, that comes later in the year. Yeah. So when people hear this, we'll be... I anticipate around the time that we're going into your race. I'm doing this now because I don't know when I'm going to see Could you again. Could you believe that Kyle Busch won the Daytona 500 that way? <laughs> Unbelievable <laughs> performance on his part in the team. That's why you're such a good promoter. You can see the future. You know I what is going script. to happen. Oh, now we are in trouble. Oh, I'm just playing. I told you that you know we can edit parts of this yeah. podcast, but we could get in trouble. In, in pro wrestling, they call that kayfabe, letting you in behind the curtain. So, no, there's no script. No. You... you Grassy knoll theorists, there is no script. God forbid. We would all, that many of us, myself included, would leave yeah. the minute that anything like yeah. that would ever be revealed. So, yeah, Me sitting too, here. Because apparently they've been writing some crappy scripts sometimes, <laughs> and they could do better than that. Sitting here four days before the Daytona 500, we have no idea who's going to win. But we do know that when we go to Texas, the first week, first weekend in April, April 9th, April 9th, Sunday this year. Correct. Sunday day race. We are going to be seeing a race on fresh pavement at Texas Motor Speedway. So how is that going? Um, it's going good. The paving job is, is all but finished. They're paving pit road uh, as we sit here in Daytona. Um, aprons, uh, that kind of thing. But the track itself is done. All the drainage is done. Uh, the reprofiling of turns one and two where we reduced the banking from 24 degrees to 20 degrees there is complete. And... Um, I, I know I'm not a race car driver, but I, I stand on the front straightaway and I look into turn one and I have no earthly idea what the line is if they're going to run into turns one and two because it's so wide. Um, turns one and two are now 85 feet wide and it was 50 feet wide. So it's uh, you know not quite double, but it's massive. And then the other end of the racetrack, turns three and four are still 24 degrees and 55 feet wide. So it makes that end of the racetrack look like you're running in down a hallway and got to turn left into a closet or something at 200 miles an hour. So it's, um, it, it definitely looks different. Yeah. So, yeah. Know. Well, we're certainly enthused to see, to see how it looks. I know that, um, there was a, maybe, I want to even say consternation really, but drivers never really want to see a place repaved. Right. I think everybody understood after what happened last November and a couple of your other events mm-hmm. last year that time had come, you had yeah. to repave it. it, it you know, uh, nobody wants uh, to see it repaved, particularly those folks like us that are paying for it. Uh, you know, it's not a cheap proposition. It's millions of dollars you have to spend. 
but it's part of the cost of doing business. And the reason we had to repave is the, the surface had become porous over time. The, the asphalt was 17, 18 years old. I can't ever get that number right. And through natural aging, through millions of miles of race cars on it, and race cars uh, are, are, are really rough, they're really tough on, a, on asphalt, different than a street car. And then you put jet trucks on it, and you put air titans on it, things that asphalt isn't designed to have to deal with. And, and, and to back to those race cars, some of them, Indy cars particularly, have ground effects built into them. So they sucks the car down on the track and help makes it more stable. But that also is pulling the asphalt up. And, and when I, I don't mean big chunks. I'm talking about little fine sand, little rocks and things like that. If you think about the composition of any asphalt, that's what you see in the street in front of your house and whatnot. And so basically it became very porous. Literally zillions and zillions, and I don't know what's after zillions, of holes in the asphalt. And we'd get some rain and it would just seep into the surface pavement. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter how many jet trucks we had. You just couldn't dry it quickly. It took us six hours to dry it. And you're always dealing with the worst conditions. When it rains, that's when your humidity is high, your barometric pressure is an issue, et cetera. And so you're always dealing with the worst possible conditions, but ours was exasperated by the asphalt that was porous. So, right. um, so now we got a new pavement on there. Drivers aren't as happy about that, understandably, but they I, to a man, they've all said, yeah, understand why you got to do it. And you, you yeah. managed, I mean, I, I hate to use the words like messaging. I don't want to come off as like PR and marketing, but I, I thought you did a, an admirable job of this last year, Eddie, when you met with, as you do always, both your races, you have a breakfast or a few breakfasts during the course of a weekend when you invited media and you, and you talk to us on the record and off the record. And in this case, it was on the record. And I thought you made the case for why this place was going to need to be repaved. And then we found out a day later, because that was Saturday, we found out Sunday <laughs> why we were going to Now you knew exactly this. why it was yeah. going to need to be repaved. So, yeah, did I get up and draw on the race board? Yeah, and uh, to show the different layers and how water from the, you know, simple rain, you would typically expect it to sheet drain off. Mm-hmm. You know, the front straightaway, the back straightaway at Texas is banked five degrees. If you stand on it, you know, it looks flat on TV. It looks flat from the stands. But if you stand on it, it has a considerable banking to it. And so, typically, the rain would hit it and just roll off to the grass between front stretch and pit road. Um, and, and most did, but some didn't. Some went in those little pores and pockets, and we had trouble. So, uh, just we couldn't, you know, we all work for the fans, the drivers, the teams, uh, the media, uh, certainly the, the racetrack. And we owe it to the fans that they know when they come to the track, they're going to see a race. Right. It, are you saying almost that... You know what you were saying about indie cars and ground effects. If you were exclusively a NASCAR facility, Eddie, do you think it would have been a little bit longer that Perhaps. the asphalt would have lasted? Perhaps, yeah. okay. but I'll also tell you, and every one of these teams will deny it in the, in the, <laughs> in the Cup garage. Yeah, is they've built in a little bit of ground effects into these cars, the the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, Xfinity, and and. Uh, 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 the trucks they've built in some tunnels and things like that and um you know they're doing everything they can to achieve that as well and nascar of course is doing everything they can do to keep them from achieving that so it's this constant tug of war but yeah ground effects just logically is going to cause stress on the asphalt that a, a street car doesn't so right yeah. so everybody who races right now at that facility in some way is is stressing the yes, asphalt and absolutely and it up the way the way they set up their cars that's interesting the other thing you just mentioned that I find intriguing, Eddie, is what you were saying about 
So both ends of the racetrack, turns one and two and three and four are being widened. No. No. Turns one and two. One and two. And turns three and four remain what they've always been, okay. which is 24 degrees and about 55 feet wide. So, and one and two are going from, you said, roughly 50 to 80 feet? Uh, going from 50 to 85 feet. Okay. So. Now, here's, here's what I find interesting about that is when your facility first opened up in 1997, I believe, or maybe it was in 1998, the second race, I believe it was Rusty Wallace who said then. <laughs> You know, he said place. a lot of things. <laughs> he said a lot of things. And he usually said it about three octaves higher than his normal <laughs> voice. But that's rusty. He said, essentially, this place needs a total reconstruction. Yeah. Is this, I know the transitions were what drivers were referring to those first yeah. two years. Is this sort of what they were referring to? That no. They would, no. Okay. No, it I wasn't about making the turns more. No. No. no that, okay. This is this is something, actually, Marcus Smith is the one who had this idea, mm-hmm. uh, who's the COO of Speedway Motorsports, our parent company. Um, I've always wanted slower race cars Mm -hmm. and after appealing to nascar for 30 years or so they're not slowing the race cars down at least not nearly enough Mm -hmm. and so um i've been talking you know what we ought to do is cut the banking down you know for years and uh as we were working on this project and getting the green light to go ahead and pave marcus said you know we ought to do what you've talked about cut the banking down in turns one and two, but leave it the way it is in three and four. Hmm. And the point there in Marcus's mind was, if you get the car to run good through one and two, it's not going to run good down through three and four and vice versa. So it gives people passing opportunities. Right. You know, if you're struggling with your handling in this turn, then, and I'm not, right. I get by you. But then we get to the other end of the racetrack and my car may not handle as well and you get a shot to get by me. So at least that's the theory. And, and that's what Marcus was uh, suggesting and so we'll we'll see how that all plays out. I don't want to delve too much into the minutia of asphalt, although I know you're very well versed oh, in it. I can by tell now. You about asphalt. <laughs> I know. I don't. I, I'm fascinated by it. I don't know if it makes for great podcast listening, but it's not sexy. You know, no. but well, but there is one thing I want to touch on about it, which is, and you just mentioned it. I mean, the goal here obviously is to uh, enhance the action, to make side by side racing more possible and passing more mm-hmm. possible. Although ultimately, it's the drivers who decide if there's passing or not. Uh, the goal is to to make it as you know po- as as relatively possible as you possibly can that that they are going to be around each other more. And uh, obviously, in in recent years, a lot of tracks have repaved: Charlotte, Talladega, Daytona, Kentucky, I, K- Kentucky, Kansas. And go back to, I think I figured this out. Atlanta is about to repave after their race. I think I figured out that um, after you guys in Atlanta repave, every track. But Miami, I think there might be one other one. But I think almost every track is repaved now since 2003 or 2004. Could Richmond be. Richmond repaved in 2004, and I think that might have been the start of this trend. Anyway, point being, the results have not been great <laughs> when tracks Some have places, repaved. Yeah. So how do you uh, thread that needle and, yeah. and figure out how to, how to have new asphalt produce passing? If you look at the most, uh, two most recent examples, Kentucky and Kansas, they actually had a pretty good... Uh, result from their new pavement with uh, doing some things to it. Um, back when we paved Texas for the last time, uh, last time, and I want to say that was 99 or 2000 or thereabouts, mm-hmm. I'm standing inside turn one with uh, three-time Indy 500 winner Johnny Rutherford. He's a uh, I've heard of local. Him. Yes, he's a good good he's, guy. Great he's guy. He's famous. Yeah, yeah. And he lives in Fort Worth, and so he came by. We were talking about the track and the repaving, and I said, you know, you'd think there'd be some way you could groom asphalt, just like we groom a dirt track. 
and he said something about you know surely we can come up with some sort of, of device you know prior to to this we've drug tires mm-hmm. you know well after a few laps you're dragging the side of a steel belt <laughs> you know it's not, and and so i said you know johnny we got to find a way where we can take race tires and because that rubber compound is completely different than a street tire or whatever right how do you mash that into the asphalt how do you right um and, and so we got to talking and johnny had this idea about a trailer and so this was a, I thought a pretty good idea and so i go to my office and i drew what looked like a boat trailer uh, towed behind a vehicle and you tilt the tires inward to create resistance mm-hmm. but you got to put a lot of weight on it to mash that you know soft is uh, that rubber uh, meets that resistance it's going to get even softer still you need weight to mash it down into the asphalt and uh, but I drew this simple drawing by hand and uh, faxed it up to Goodyear and they said that is a genius idea hmm. so um I designed this thing called the Texas Tire Monster. Uh, we used it then. Uh, we, we're using it again, uh, where we will groom the, the racing groove in the turns. We're going to go up one one car width because they're uh, uh, you know they're going to work in right down to the white line. Right. We're trying to help them spread it out earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, so you'll see a definite black groove that's already in place before you get there. And we'll run thousands, thousands, and thousands of laps with, with the Texas Tire Monster. And then we also have learned how to use lime and a big brush that's on the front of a tractor and work lime into the asphalt. And it, it gives this same sensation as a worn-out racetrack does, which is what the drivers like. Mm-hmm. And so we found ways to, uh, to widen the surface, uh, the racing groove, to put a little rubber into it, and to kind of produce a synthetic worn out asphalt uh, it worked at uh, Kentucky it worked really well in Kansas and we'll be doing that you know at Texas mm-hmm. uh, and then I've got this idea about some sort of sprayer you melt rubber and just spray it on the racetrack um, don't think we're going to have that for this but but it's an idea that okay. I'm tinkering with so okay. so there are ways to do it and a little bit you, and nothing nothing simulates the real deal but right. we're going to do our best and the tire monster and correct me if I'm wrong here you mentioned Kentucky I think that it's race with the repave was well received they had the tire dragon they had there. the tire dragon is that similar the concept is similar but different okay <laughs> so right. it's hard we don't to, have to describe get proprietary information yeah, I'm not yeah. I've not seen it I've, it's been described to me yeah and it makes some sense too so okay yeah, you know, yeah. we're gonna be using that as well well, that, um, that's encouraging. So, uh, you know, that's the thing is you do everything you can do, but at the end of the day, you know, it's new asphalt and it's just going to take a little bit of time. And that leads me to my... It, 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 Kentucky, they had 14 cautions, you know, so... <laughs> cautions are... Ooh. For us, they're yeah. good, you know. I, I, I know people, drivers and teams complain that a caution-filled race is not a good race. You, you like cautions? I think within reason, y- yes, because cautions are usually a byproduct of people racing hard against one another and losing control. I think when you have green flag, long green flag stretches, what that tells you is, I mean, it's not it's not to put it all, lay it all on the feet of the drivers, but I think it mm-hmm. tells you that passing is harder than maybe it should be. So I'm not saying that's yeah. true in every case, yeah. but, that, you know, yeah. I, I don't want, you know, I need to qualify these things. I don't want, like, yellow flag after yellow flag yellow after flag yellow flag. Yellow flag fever. Yeah. Great movie, uh, but uh, that's not good. But wouldn't right. you agree that you need to have? I mean, that's look what we're doing this year with segments and races, right? Uh, Stages and races, to some degree, yeah. So yeah. yes, I you know, um, 
so we'll see how it all plays out. You know, it's just uh, Kentucky's way different than Texas. Yeah. We're, we're fast, 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 and, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, yeah. You know, I want to be a good, safe race, obviously. So, The last thing on asphalt, I promise, because uh, you just sort of alluded to it. There's only so much you can do. It's still asphalt, and that, re- that triggers a memory of when they announced they were repaving Kansas, Jeff Gordon said, and I remember this vividly, said effectively, they need to be really careful with what kind of asphalt they're using because the problem is a lot of these tracks, again, Daytona, Talladega, you put them on the list, um, Charlotte to some degree, they were paving it with composite or materials that they used to pave highways. And obviously when you pave highways, you don't want... You don't need the wear that you want on a racetrack. You, you don't want to. how hard you drive. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, is, is yeah. there any way to, to solve that problem? I mean, is it, can, you, can you get asphalt that degrades a little quicker or better somehow? I, I'm not quite sure what Jeff was referring to, so I can't address that. I will tell you, we've spent a lot of time talking with drivers and getting their thoughts and their input. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Gordon and I, I texted him the other day, I need to talk to you about uh, putting stripes on the racetrack. And I, it seemed like I know sooner hit send than my phone was ringing. It was Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I've never thought about that. Hmm. Uh, and so we wound up having a 30-minute discussion about what what's the right thing to do about putting stripes on a racetrack. And if you look at a racetrack, it doesn't seem like it's any big deal. Mm-hmm. But we had a long discussion about it. And he said, I've never, I've never discussed this. Hmm. I never thought about it. And, um, Just and that you wouldn't want to adversely affect the racing by putting the stripes down? Is that sort of what well, you were talking to? Well, you know, uh, for instance, where the apron and the banking come together, that seam right there, mm-hmm. does it go on the flat apron? Does it go on the banked asphalt uh, mm-hmm. at that seam? Um, you know, there is no, there is no notebook. There, there's no directions that come with one of these things. And mm-hmm. so um, here's what has always been done, but... Is that the right thing to do? And mm-hmm. so Jeff and I talked about it. Like I said, we're 30 minutes. Uh, so you know we got into <laughs> uh, it, it was probably not a very, again, not a very sexy conversation for others to listen in on. But, yeah. um, you know, and then after we were done, he said, I really think you need to talk to, he named a couple other guys to get their thoughts and see if they're on the same page with you and me. So, you know, you even stuff as simple and as, as you just don't even think about it as painting stripes on the racetrack. That's something you got to think about and consider and make sure you're doing right. And we're trying to get the driver's input to do what they want done. So it's uh, something they're happy with. Yeah. When, when, you t- when you talk about getting that input, Eddie, I know you also said fans are important in that equation. Mm-hmm. And you said you considered changing the banking. Would, did you ever consider maybe changing the entire track and maybe going turning Texas into like a short track? Would that be possible or feasible or something? Um, no, it wouldn't be because of... Because of the footprint, yeah, the footprint, and it just be—you just might as well knock it down and start over, yeah. uh, you know. And um, you know, we're proudly a mile and a half track. Um, there, <laughs> now we're unlike any mile and a half track there is now. But mm-hmm. um, mile and a halfs, for whatever reason, um, and, and Nate, if you've done this, I'm going to call you a name. If you call them a cookie cutter track, I think I might have mile like, and a half. My first two years as a sports writer, okay. I might have used that, that well, term. I was going to say. <laughs> That shows me that that you're you know if somebody says that doesn't know much about the sport. Uh, is I'm going to say I haven't lazy. used it since 2005, Excellent. maybe 2004. Good for you. <laughs> you you've grown, young man, grasshopper. Uh, you know uh, the reporters being lazy uh, because you know 
I can tell you, if you go talk to these teams. Is it fake news? Um, absolutely, <laughs> it's fake news. And, um, you know, if you go talk to these teams, uh, I'll give you an example. Atlanta, Charlotte, and Texas look similar. Yeah. You don't set the cars up anywhere right. alike at all. They're not alike except to the untrained eye. Right. And uh, so anybody that says that is just showing they don't have much understanding of our sport. So. Okay. I'm going to find this link after we complete this podcast. But I'm pretty sure when I was at Richmond, again, probably a decade plus ago, I wrote a story in which I used cookie cutter was the, con- the conceit of right. the entire story. But like the uh, the premise was, as you just said, it was uh, people say cookie cutter, but really they're not they're a, not. all similar. No. And I, there have been drivers at that time and since who have said they might look alike, but they're nothing no. alike in the way they drive. They're nothing alike. And in, yeah. in our first race in 97, um, everybody was crashing. I mean, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Petty told me, he said, you know, you're in the garage and it looks like Charlotte. You pull up on pit road and it looks like Charlotte. You go right down pit road, it looks like Charlotte. And you go around the track slow, and it looks like Charlotte. And he says, so you get up to speed, and you head into turn one, you go, oh, my God, it's not Charlotte. <laughs> what did they do? So, Changed it. Yeah. That's funny. So, it, um, yeah, it's not Charlotte. Okay. Well, it's good to hear that. There you go. We, we, need, we need differentiation. We do. And, and so, you know, but no, no two half miles are alike. No two mile and a half are alike at all. You know, right. So... We need that kind of diversity, Eddie, and that brings me to the second half of the, this podcast and things I wanted to talk to you about. By the way, I n- normally I make a long list of like questions. And check out my list here. Look at that. I Two have, questions. I, <laughs> I, I, I knew this would be easy. But what if I don't like the second question and I'm, and I'm trying to <laughs> oh, deflect? You're, oh, you're going to like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's something I had saved from the last time we talked that I didn't have a chance to ask you about while you were driving around in your car feverishly trying to answer yeah. My questions yeah. that day. Um, I remember that day. So diversity is good for NASCAR in sure. many ways. And I think we're reaching a point with the new young wave of drivers that we're getting more driver diversity in terms of personalities. And you talk mm-hmm. about cookie-cutter racetracks. About 10 years ago, there was a discussion about do drivers have cookie-cutter personalities? Oh, yeah. You've got the NASCAR-issue haircut, the NASCAR-issue yeah. clothes, the NASCAR-issue response. Yeah, exactly, yeah. the step for drivers. So I feel like we're getting away from that, that NASCAR is getting away from that, which is good. But do guys need to hate each other more, do you think? Are, are we seeing well, enough of that? <laughs> I'll tell you where it all started, in my book, yeah. is when they started bringing motorhomes to the racetrack instead of staying at hotels. Right. It's hard to hate the guy parked next to you uh, because your wives like each other and y'all going to have dinner tonight. Right. You're uh, going to cook out a couple of steaks and have dinner. So it's kind of hard to have that rivalry and, and hate. Uh, hate is a strong word, by the way. I probably shouldn't say straight. I, I hate. I should say, like, you know, rivalry. Animosity. Just, you well, know, yeah, rivalry is good. It's I, just something that conveys that you don't want to be buddies with this guy. You well, want to beat him. Everybody. I do know some old school drivers. Uh, old school meaning they, let's say their careers ended in the 80s mm-hmm. and they hate each other still. Yes. So that I, existed I, in yes. this sport. Right. And and I think that kind of uh, bitterness and rivalry and, um, yeah, that was good for the sport. But it's difficult to do because these guys live together, literally live together yes. in this compound. And, and I said it when it started. This is not a good thing for the sport. And so, the motorhome lot. The motorhome lot. Yes. And, uh, you know, we don't have a black hat in the garage any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe one of these young guys will be that, you know, um, Kyle Busch uh, kind of was that to some degree, but he was, it wasn't like he was rivals with 
other drivers as much as he was just rivals with everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, the media, yeah. uh, fans. He uh, had it with the year that um, he and Carl in 2008, Jimmy won the championship, but Carl and Kyle had a point there. You know, there was that time at Bristol where yeah. Carl spun him out and Kyle called him Mr. Ed. And, you know, Carl tried to defend it by saying, ah, he, he bumped me in an Xfinity race five years ago, so I was paying him back. And But, but then it just kind of diffused itself, yeah. you know? I, I think, it, like you said, Eddie, I think that's part of it is that, well, and now, well, they were teammates until Carl made his announcement last month, but it seems like it's just harder for guys to have that ability. As you said, it's there's a lot of pressure, I think, nowadays. Maybe I didn't cover the sport in the 60s and 70s, but or even the 80s when... Dale Earnhardt was around and, and wearing that black hat in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably there's probably a weight that comes to With, wearing the black. Well, hat. Well, it does, and and you you have to be somebody like Dale was, you know, because his hat was both black and white at the same time. Right. I mean, right. he was a chameleon right. in many ways, but you know, a black hat is not something that goes down smooth for sponsors. Right. And and yet with Dale, and to some degree Tony Stewart. Uh, it did, you yes. know. It, it was okay because that was just them being the, themselves that and was the brand. Yeah, and um, you know, so. Uh, but you know, uh, look, here, Kevin Harvick, one of my favorite people, in and out of the race car. Um, he was a bad dude when he, you know, started out. I, there's a great photo. I want to say he and Ricky Rudd got into it at Richmond. Yes. And um, correct. And uh, he's uh, Kevin is standing on the hood of his car, telling Ricky to get out. Standing on the hood of Ricky's car. Yes. <laughs> Denting it. Yeah. Tell him, get, out of, get out of the car. Yeah. And that look on his you know, wild man look. And, and I decided then that out of all the, you know, Kevin's a little guy. Out of all the people in the garage, I don't want to fight him. You know, I'll take the big guys, but I don't yeah. want to fight Kevin because he's a little bit crazy. Yeah. And a former well, wrestler. Yeah, exactly. He's a he'll former high school wrestler. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he had me in a figure four the other day. <laughs> and I tried to tap out and he wouldn't let loose. But uh, anyhow, um, you know, and, and you don't see that anymore, partly because of sponsorship, partly because of, of um, NASCAR come down too hard on them, and partly because, you know, they're parked next to each other in a motorhome lot. Yeah. And you may go, that sounds silly. It may sound silly, but it's a reality. They see each other every day of the year. No. You know, and yeah. it's, it's, tough to, it's tough to hate your next-door neighbor. We've heard guys say this, actually. That it's just I've heard, I remember Denny Hamlin saying it a few years ago in exactly the terms you said. Like, it's just it's too much of a burden when – your significant others are going out together and you yeah. have to worry about all the other complications that can come with, yeah. with a feud. But as you just said, like I'll give NASCAR some credit and they have backed off a lot right. the last five or six years. They realized the error of their ways and said, we're not going to penalize guys for shoving each other. That's silly. Um, and that was good. And I think sponsors, I guess it varies, but I feel like they've been at least tried to be preached to about like, Hey, you got to give these guys yeah. more leeway. That'll be a little bit of a personality. So I guess that leaves us with the motorhome lot. And (laughs) this is where, this is interesting because I've thought about writing this as a column before about like, hey, I I don't think it's a good idea to have a motorhome lot at the racetrack for the reasons you just stated. But what 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 prevents me from putting that down and putting that out there, although I guess I just kind of did, is that for a lot of these drivers, that's the way they raise their families now. A lot of, you know, I, I've done the count. I think the two dozen kids have been born, not in that motorhome lot, but have been born since. Oh, yeah, you got to send the doctor over there to birth right. these. No. <laughs> Something oh, right. in the water going on over there over the last decade where all those drivers have had kids. So how do you 
Is is that? It almost seems like you can't ask them to like stop staying at the racetrack because then you're like essentially hurting their family. Well, life. either all the tracks have to, or none of them can. You know, you yeah. can't step out there and be the lone ranger on this uh, because it's. You know, the drivers look at it, and and the teams look at it as a as a right. Uh, it's not. It's expensive to the tracks to to build and produce and secure and maintain and all like that. And it's a gift from the track to them, but they don't hmm. view it that way. Hmm. Uh, In terms just, of like twenty four hour security. And, yeah. And, well, uh, build it. And, and you got to run. Uh, you got to run power, water, cable. Uh, although they have their dishes, but you know you got to run all those hookups to to it. it it's it's hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to provide this to them. Yes. Uh, and I can tell you in the history of Texas Motor Speedway, I've never gotten a thank you note, not one. So, you know, it's it's not in the sanction agreement. It's not something you have to provide. Mm-hmm. It's something you do. And and you know, you're. Uh, I want our stars to look forward to coming to Texas and all like that. And we do a lot of things we don't have to do. You know, but. Um, Anyhow, I, I just, uh, you know, where's, where's Kel and Donnie and Bobby when you need them? Uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting fighting or anything like that. Just uh, Petty and Pearson, who actually are good friends, yeah. but great rivalry. Right. You know, uh, right. that kind of thing. We need that. Uh, Earnhardt and uh, Bill Elliott, Earnhardt and Jeff Bodine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was good stuff. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Waltrip and Allison, Petty and Allison. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what defined these guys as Hall of Fame drivers was what they did against the people. Well, Ali needed Frazier yes. and Foreman yeah. to be Ali. And mm-hmm. and these guys would be bigger if they had their Frazier or Foreman. You yeah. know, they really would be. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but the pressure's on to keep your nose clean and to do all the right things. And I, I get that. But... Um, Every once in a while, you got to say, you know, I'm not going to take that, yeah. and um, and that's, you know, you like to see the emotions truly come to the top, um, and our sport, our sport's better than any when it comes to that. I, I can't imagine that, you know, your NFL, NFC Championship game, AFC Championship game, Super Bowl, two minute offense, and you fumble the ball at the two, mm-hmm. and the player gets over to the sidelines and he doesn't get to see the coach or anybody. He sees a bunch of reporters sticking a microphone in his face. Right. Well, that's right. what happens in our sport and yeah. that in other sports, they get to go to the locker room after the clock runs out, take a shower, cool off. Right. The PR guy says, now straighten up, you know, don't go in there and you know, here's what you really need to say. Yeah. And, and next thing you know, you get literally a watered down right. response where in our sport, you know, you want the microphones still in front of these guys as soon as they get yeah. out of the cars. Yeah. They're, they're still fuming and yeah. they're getting these microphones thrust in their face. Yeah. You know, that's a good thing. But still, though, they've become such professionals, you know. Yeah. They, they, um, it, it was kind of funny the other day I saw that Kyle Bush and Jimmy Johnson had a little disagreement on uh, the clash, and Jimmy texted an apology to Kyle, uh, or is it Kurt? Anyway. I, I, yeah, Kurt and Jimmy. Kurt and Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy texted and, and apology. Kurt, Kurt. said uh, a, a, a text apology doesn't cut it. You know? I mean, and then he goes, I'm in the motor coach next to you making a sandwich. Come on over. Yeah. And so they came over and they discussed it and all is well with the world. You know? Yeah. That's just not how it should be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree that um, 
there is a need for more ill will. And well, rivalries is how I like to look at it. Rivalries is probably the best way yeah. to put it. The politically correct way, not that you're ever saying. Well, I'm never politically correct, but, but rivalries <laughs> is what I'm looking for. On the track, yeah. they don't have to lay a hand on I'm not suggesting that in a million mm-hmm. years. Just Race good rivalry, hard. you know? Yeah. Yeah, don't so, apologize for taking somebody out if you're going for a win or a position. Yeah, like you know, well, like Earnhardt, right? He well, never apologized. For, I don't think he apologized for anything in his entire life. And uh, <laughs> you know, but Keselowski, to some degree, you know, he did something in the yeah. clash, and he said, um, "That's hey, what I'm going to do in the 500." Now yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. yeah, and and that was a great warning to lay out to everybody because they can act like they're not paying attention, but it's they know it. Yeah, they they read it, they know it, and they're prepared just in case, good or bad. Yeah. So last you know. last thought on this topic: um, How does NASCAR engender that those rivalries when the buzzword right now, as you know, Eddie, is collaboration? That everybody is working together for a better NASCAR, which I think is good. Everybody should be concerned with yeah. like the direction of the entire ball of wax. But uh, how how do you do that? How how do you how do you have a drivers' council where they're meeting with NASCAR and? It, Airing of grievances, bringing it back to the beginning, and yeah. and also like trying to fight it out on the track. Um, I don't know. That's a tough balance. Um, you know, you would hope that these guys are professional enough to sit down in that environment and discuss points of common interest, mm-hmm. and it doesn't affect a rivalry, good or bad. That it, that rivalry, when they get to the track, still exists. They may agree or disagree on this point that's being discussed in the drivers' union, but uh, not it, it shouldn't have an effect or carry over to right. what's on the track. Now, you know, again, they live together, and that's part of the dilemma. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, familiarity breeds discontent. Yeah. You know, right. and and right. so you, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I, I wish I had that answer. I just know that I, uh, I think all fans would tell you. And I'm bottom line is I'm a racing fan. Um, right. I want to see more rivalries. That's when it's at its best. Yes. You know, the, the Lakers and the Celtics. Yeah. You know, the Packers and the Bears when they were both good at the same time. I guess it was the 20s. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah. stuff like that. That's when it's really good. Yeah. Kale never texted DW. And even if he had an iPhone in 1976, oh. they wouldn't have done it anyway no. or whatever. Yeah. They, they didn't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and yeah. that was that was good stuff. And. Yeah. So I don't know how you undo that. Uh, that's where we are today. It's two thousand, and that's the thing that a lot of fans have to understand is that they talk about changes, changes, changes. Well, change occurs in life. Yeah. And you know, it's not NASCAR of nineteen seventy. Right. First race I went to was nineteen seventy seven Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I'm from, and um, four years ago. You know, uh, it, uh, it, it. I look back recently because somebody asked me about that race and I, I vividly remember it, but I didn't remember that Daryl won and Bobby Allison was second, but Bobby was more than a lap behind. Hmm. So those, you know, if you had a race where somebody won by a lap, you know, the sport would come unraveled yeah. today. You know, yeah. we've got 18, 20 drivers on the lead lap. That's really good racing. Yeah. So we tend to romanticize the past and the past wasn't always better than today right you know right so right well next podcast maybe we can talk a little bit about uh your memories i'm glad we got to do this in person thanks for this making is fun time. yeah hope uh, you here in it. the sprawling nbc sports i know studios they tell me they like ambient noise so well they got i, I feel like we we achieved that here yeah today. apparently in, so in the daytona international speedway <laughs> well thanks for having sure. me nathaniel always a pleasure sir thanks for being here 
Thanks again to Eddie Gossage for making time for us. He always has something interesting to say, though I'll admit I haven't always been comfortable with everything he has to say. Uh, But we've had some good debates. He is an accommodating friend of the news media, and that is appreciated. Thanks as well to producer Tess Quinlan for her usual help with this episode and for her and others' work on the NBC Sports Podcasting Network. There is a new NBC Sports podcast called That's a Dive with Kyle Martino that's worth checking out if you're an English English Premier League fan or if you're just a fan of soccer or football or whatever term you prefer. Premier League analyst Kyle Martino takes a deep dive into some of the most debated topics bouncing around the soccer community and the sports world. The first episode of That's a Dive just popped last week, and it's available on all the standard podcasting apps. And a reminder about our fairly new Monday Morning Donuts podcast with Parker Kligerman and Carolyn Mano that recaps the previous weekend's NASCAR news and races. Check out Parker and Carolyn's podcast and subscribe. It's available on Audioboom, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, virtually anywhere you can go for a podcast, you can find it. And those are the same places you can find the NASCAR and NBC podcast as well. I'm going to make another desperate plea that you, li- that if you listen to either NASCAR and NBC podcast or Monday Morning Donuts, if you listen to either of those podcasts on iTunes and like them, it really, really, really helps us out if you spread the word by leaving a rating and review. I was looking at the number of ratings and reviews we had the other day, and while a number of those reviews are very kind, I appreciate appreciate everyone's feedback. I naturally and irrationally took it personally that we don't have more stamps of approval. So please leave a rating and review for the NASCAR NBC podcast and Monday Morning Donuts on iTunes. And don't forget that NASCAR America is on Monday through Thursdays on NBCSN. You can often catch Carolyn Mano hosting that, and Parker Kligerman makes several appearances as a guest analyst. That's our nightly show that will keep you informed of everything happening throughout the 2017 NASCAR season. Usually it's on at 5.30 p.m., sometimes starts at uh, 5 or 6. Check your listings or go to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR, where we always have daily updates on what's to come on the show and when it starts. And you can also find replays of the show at www.NBCSports.com slash live. Also, live programming and video clips from NASCAR America can be found there, too. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, including guest suggestions, please send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.